Hello, and welcome to another episode of Releasing Your Inner Dragon. Today, we're going to have a great episode for you. We're going to do some writing craft recaps, and we are going to talk about creating character-driven stories by talking about two of the most popular TV shows that has hit our screens in the past little while, which is House of the Dragon and The Last of Us. But before we get into that, I am Marie Mullaney. I have a YouTube world-building channel, and I'm a fantasy author. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Drake. I'm Max Alexander Drake, award-winning novelist, teach writing all over the world. And I just realized, because I never really looked at myself in the mirror, and now that I'm looking at myself in this, I am sporting my hick today. I got my <laughs> hick ball cap on, my American t-shirt, my my uh, flannel. So I am right out of the South today. Uh, didn't Didn't really realize that. And if you like the South, and even if you don't, hit the like button down below. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, because Southerners hate it when you hit that like button. So don't be hitting that like button. <laughs> because that'll just, I'm sorry, Southerners love it. Sorry, Southerners <laughs> love it when you hit that like. No, wait. No, no, they hate it. So you want to hit it. Right. Yeah. I didn't think that through. So just, anyway. just, just, hit, just hit that like button. Just hit the like button. <laughs> if you hit the like button, I promise I won't do my Southern country accent for the rest of this episode. <laughs> you just say that. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about writing craft recaps. So we have spoken about a couple of the things that we're going to talk about today before. Well, they both came up in my writer's group last night. And, you know, it's not like they haven't come up before, but really had to readdress them again. So I figure if it's readdressing with them, it's time to readdress it here. Absolutely. Uh, and there, there are two simple concepts that I really push my clients and students and everything to think about. They're not hard. This shouldn't be controversial um, because there, you know, there are controversies like, you know, don't use adverbs or screw it, use adverbs and stuff like that. There's there's all of those. But these two, I don't think so. So the two things that I kind of hammered on last night were inner monologue and speech tags and one aspect of speech tags. Um, and I, I think speech tags is easier, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start there. Basically, the thing that irks me is when people use a speech tag in a sentence that has a bunch of other actions. Um, so, in other words, they'll say, "Hey, how you doing?" Sally said as she got up and walked across the room and poured herself a cup of coffee. Like the the Sally said literally adds nothing to the sentence. Because the only reason why Sally said it there is to show that Sally said, how you doing this morning? But if it's all one paragraph and it's, quote, how you doing this morning, close quote, Sally got up and walked across the room and got herself a cup of coffee. Then we also know that Sally said that. And so, you know, and I'm not talking about because you had brought up earlier something like yeah. you know, Sally said with a smile. So, OK, little things like that. You're, you're kind saying of yeah, so if you're saying something that describes how the person's saying it, then keep the speech tag. The reason why you keep the speech tag is because you don't want to say he smiled as a speech tag or he laughed as a speech tag. Like, those things jar. Well, it wouldn't be a speech tag. It'd be an action tag. So yeah. you'd, you'd put a period at the end of, like, how you doing this morning, period, close quote, capital, she smiled, but it for me, it's that awkwardness of, yeah. wait a minute, is it a speech tag? Is it not a speech tag? Um, can you actually say that? And a two-word sentence. Smiling, a, a, affecting that or anything yeah. like that. 
So yeah. yeah. So those it, it becomes very awkward. Yes. Those so, those my opinion is stick to like she said with a smile or he said with a laugh or whatever like just use that descriptor. But if it's an actual action just use the action tag. Right. There's just no reason. You're you're just you're adding bloat to the story that does literally nothing. Yeah. And we want to cut over we want to cut out all of our overused stuff and you're going to overuse the word set. You're just going to. And yeah. so if the sentence has extra stuff in it, yep. just cut out the said. Because you don't even change a sentence. You know, yep. he said as he walked across the room, he walked across the room. Mm -hmm. Like doesn't change anything. So and yeah. the the one thing I do want to say about cutting out repeated word uses when we're talking about said is please do not cut out the word said's repeated word uses by using synonyms. Right. Because I have seen that too, where people go like, he orated. Yeah. Unless he's standing really in front dumb. of a crowd <laughs> you know, and he's actually orating. Don't don't do that. Yeah, because then, then you become written, a source. Yeah. I have written he declared, but the dude was standing in front of a crowd delivering a speech. Declaimed is the correct word. <laughs> right. Except to play a little devil's advocate, okay. I would rather describe what that looks like and feels like. And so instead of just being telly and saying he de declaimed, I would rather say, you know, he punctuated his words by slamming his fist on his, you know, on the small child next to him, whatever. Um, <laughs> so just saying. You know, you can describe some things and really throw yeah. some yeah. better descriptors and, and better emotions and everything uh, into the story. 100% you can. So, uh, and it's it's one of the reasons why I don't ever write the word set, like none. And I don't recommend anybody follow yeah. me on that. I say this all the time. I am one of the only published authors that does not use speech tags at all. Not a single one. I've got one story that was published in it, but it, it had reasons that it had to be there. But... um the reality is I don't use them at all. And it's it's actually bad. There's there's times where it would actually be better if I would get off my high horse and just write the word said. But since 20 years ago, I planted my flag in that, you know, on that hill. That's one of the hills that I decided I was going to die on. And it, it has caused me a lot of grief at times. Um, so don't do it. But use them less, you know, definitely action tags are, are more inviting and exciting and interesting and immersive and everything else for the reader as opposed to John said. And that's why I've actually, so like last night when we were going through some stuff, there was a whole page that this person just had dialogue, 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 and maybe the occasional said, 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 whatever. Mm. And, you know, the industry calls that talking heads Yes, where you just got two heads that are, that are floating in midair and, and we can't see anything around them. We just, their lips are moving. I actually have stopped calling it in my writers groups and with my students talking heads. Mm. Um, I'm have switched over to exclusively calling it missed opportunity. Mm. So as an example, um, there was a line that this one character said, it was the, the narrating character. Um, she had basically been chased out of uh, the forest by these monsters and she's got to go back. And she had marked the thing by leaving a necklace in the park because there's someone out there in danger. And so she gets some help and she's going to go out there. And so they get there and I don't remember what the exact line was, but she said something about, um, not wanting to go back or, or whatever it was. It was that line. And that's it. It was talking heads. And it was in the center section of a song. And I said, I said, this is a perfect example 
what is she feeling? Like you say, I don't want to go back, but I'm inside her. Like literally what are the emotions running through her head? What, you know, is she terrified? Is she, there's all this stuff. So it's, so really what talking heads to me is, is just a missed opportunity to expand and end the story and make it immersive. And the author was like, Oh yeah, I could write blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, look at that. Like it's so easy to, 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 avoid these missed opportunities because that's really what they are they're missed opportunities to show actions to paint better pictures to show deeper emotions that's why i almost never write a line of dialogue by itself mm-hmm. it always has you know and it's also why my paragraphs have gotten fatter and fatter and fatter because i'm doing more and more things within that paragraph but it's also why you know people enjoy reading me mm-hmm. except for those few that that really want bare bone stories i mm-hmm. do i have had a few of those where they're like you describe too much for me i'm like okay great <laughs> there are a thousand other writers out there that don't describe crap go read them like i don't you know necessarily need you one reader mm-hmm. um i'm looking for people who want to watch a movie in their head who want that immersive experience. And so again, this is all subjective. So if you're the type of writer where you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I don't want to expand myself. I just want to have just dialogue, 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 next chapter, dialogue, dialogue, then write it that way. There is nothing stopping you. Um, But if you want a bit more immersion, then I would suggest not doing that. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's, that's one of the things that came up and maybe we, we should call this section like, uh, Crap that came up in Drake's uh, <laughs> writers group last night because it seems like every time there's yeah. stuff. But but I do I do think that that it is worth talking about like dialogue often because yeah. people do like I've seen it a lot like a, a lot of speech tags with then an action I'm like just use the action tag and talking heads is a trap that a lot of writers fall into like a yep. lot a lot. Oh, even published books. Yeah. They're just, they're just all over the place. Yeah. And again, that's why I just feel they're missed opportunities. Absolutely. And then the other one was inner monologue. And it took me until last year to figure out how to really teach. Because I use a lot of inner monologue. I use one or two on every single page. Um, there are people, and again, anything you do is always going to piss off somebody. So I've had people come up to me and it's like, man, you're a really good writer, but I cannot read stories that have inner monologue. I just refuse. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because I was told it was wrong. I mean, they don't really have a reason, mm. but you know, it is one of those controversial statements. Um, but I, I always struggled trying to explain. And last year, one of the girls in my writers group that's been, you know, to doing my class for about eight years now, she's constantly been hammering on me like, you got to explain it to me better. I don't understand. It. I don't understand. It. I don't understand it. And I've done this and I've done that, but I finally actually figured out a really good way last year um, to kind of explain it to her. And now it's my go-to. It's what it's my standard as far as this is concerned. And it's when you're thinking about inner monologue, inner monologue, you can't treat just like dialogue because it'll start sounding campy or to start sounding on the nose. Like last night, the reason why this came up is one of the guys, um, he had met a nobleman who is basically just dressed like everyone else and doing everything else. And he's going to have to play this game against him. And he had, he didn't really describe the nobleman. He just said it was a nobleman. Um, And then in inner monologue, he goes, but he looks just like us. And I'm like, so first of all, that doesn't, you haven't described anyone in the scene. Mm. So I don't know what that means. They could all be lizard people for all I know. Uh, Cause literally he's like, 
the only thing he described was, you know, the POV is in this pit surrounded by a crowd and the crowd is looking at him and, but that's it. And I'm like, you, he looks just like us, but I don't know what us looks like. It's this, you know, vague anamorphic blob Mm -hmm. and you describe nothing. And so I'm like, you know, if you describe it, we're going to know. And it, you know, and then you maybe make a comment of that's a little less on the nose, like, um, uh, anything i mean it could be you know i bet he doesn't wear these clothes at home or whatever i mean there's so many other ways that you could do it other than just right on the nose Mm. um and so for me when i'm thinking about inner monologue i always ask the question because inner monologue could absolutely be written as narrative narration Mm. that's why a lot of people are against it a lot of people are against it well you can write as narration because you could you could narrate and the nobleman look just like them like, or, you know, it amazed POV character because the nobleman didn't look any different from anyone else he knew. Like, you can narrate that without going into inner monologue. My question is always, does it impact the reader more as narration or as, di- or as inner monologue? Because some lines absolutely make more impact on the reader if it's internal. So as example, the the monster story with the forest, the first one I was talking about, um, there was a thing where she narrated, uh, it was it was right at that moment too, that same thing that I was describing. So it was like, you know, she was glad that she had Bob with her um, because, you know, she didn't want to be out here to begin with, comma, especially not alone. And I'm like, okay, no problem with that. But what if instead... She was, you know, it's something like, and it wasn't, it was more showy than she was glad Bob, I'm, I'm paraphrasing everything. But instead, now we just end it with, she was glad that Bob was with her um, because she didn't, she didn't want to go back, period. And then you drop an inner monologue, especially not alone. Like, even though they're the same words, mm. one is just narration that you read. The second one, when you pop it out and you force the reader to hear it as internal monologues, that's what the italics does. It makes me hear the the words different. It's personal. It's her now saying, especially not alone, as opposed to especially not alone. Because you you read it in narration, you just read it in your narration voice. You read it in inner monologue or dialogue, and you read it in that voice in your head. And it changes. It changes the the impact of it. So I'll tell you why. I generally recommend against inner monologue. And it's not because I refuse to read inner, obviously, I mean, I read a lot of writers, including you, that you use inner monologue. So I've got nothing against inner monologue. However, I read a lot of uh, writing where the inner monologue is literal paragraphs sometimes multiple paragraphs. At that point, it truly is a monologue. And we've gone from a talking head to a talking brain, a talking brain sitting in a jar, (laughs) spouting (laughs) the thoughts of the character at me. And I'm like, I'm bored and no longer interested. (laughs) You just took me back to uh, Steve Martin's The Man with Two Brains, where they had (laughs) brains in jars and all of that. But anyway, no, you're right. That's why all my inner monologue is usually just a couple words long. Every once in a while, I will allow the character, like if the character is trying to make a decision Mm. 
we've all done that where we'll actually go, you know, and this would all be in my head, but it'd be like, okay, should I choose the, the, the yellow one or the red one? I mean, the yellow one has this aspect, but the, you know, we've all done that. And so I'll, I'll occasionally allow my characters to do something like that, but only if it is a conversation that is very organic and very natural and must be held inside that character's head. And because it gives you insight on the character struggling between this decision. Yeah, but even then, I would say break it up, you know, with actions, break right. it up, break it up with narration as well. Because right. as you say, you can do a lot of inner monologue type things. I mean, I do all of my inner monologue type things in narration, all of it. Um, and you can do a lot of that in narration, and then you can just sparingly, sparingly spice in some italics for inner monologue. <laughs> or not do it two, three times on every page. <laughs> yes, but not all like paragraphs. Not, not. <laughs> no, because they're always like one or two words, like I just said, uh, like in that example, especially not alone. I mean, I read the words. beginning of a chapter. <laughs> I read the beginning of a chapter that I was critting, and the first five paragraphs were mm. all in italics with like one sentence in between. I was like, um, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a done. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not, I've, I've definitely started chapters with, uh, with inner monologue mm -hmm. like one of my favorites which is the prologue to the book that's come mm -hmm. out in in july that i've cut and i don't even know how that you'll get this chapter but i i, I still haven't decided exactly where it's going to go i think mm -hmm. it's going to be the epilogue of book two mm -hmm. i mean think about that i wrote a prologue to book one and i'm now going to put it as the epilogue to book two um because it gave away some information that mm -hmm. first of all you just don't even understand um but it's more impactful after what happens in book two, the information. But it starts off uh, with an inner monologue of, have I given my loyalty to the just or just the victorious? And then the next line is, the thought clawed at uh, Valame Dre's honor. Like, literally, it's him because they've won. And, you know, as the scene unfolds, you notice that the battle is done and they've won and everything like that. And the whole chapter, he's just lamenting on have we actually done the right thing here? Like we won and I'm on the winning side, but does that make us right? Like we've done some pretty horrific things here. And mm. so that's, and and so right off the bat, I throw it right in the reader's face. This is the conflict, the internal conflict of this character in the very first sentence. And so the whole chapter now you have to deal with him. Um, he's there's There's an external conflict too that has nothing to do with that. But he's also dealing with that internal conflict the entire time as well. And so, you know, I've definitely started. I'm I would definitely never say, you know, because somebody will say that. They'll say, never start, you know, with Aaron, like, screw you. you know, there's there's no such thing as never. Um, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying never. I'm just saying don't start with five paragraphs. Oh, well, the five <laughs> paragraphs I've never done anywhere. Like ever. So that, that's I mean little, um, the example that I was talking about when he's making a decision, it might be yeah. two sentences long. Yeah. Like it's never been like a paragraph, like a long paragraph. Because mm. I mean if two sentences would be a paragraph, one sentence is a paragraph. But anyway. Um so yeah, so that's the big thing with inner monologue. It's 
if you choose to use it, some people just don't choose to use it, and that's fine. There's there's no I, I personally like it because I feel that it and that I think that's the the thing I love so much about writing in third person as opposed to when I write in first person. In first person, everything is inner monologue. Yes. Everything. So you really shouldn't write an inner monologue because there's no difference. No. It doesn't feel and you can do this test because I, you know, nothing I say mm. I haven't tested out and thought about. Um I spend a lot of time thinking about what I say about writing and why I believe the way I believe about writing. Um, and so when I'm writing in first person and I write something in a monologue, it doesn't read any different to me than everything else in narration. Cause everything is written kind of in that first person. I, you know, I'm thinking this stuff as I'm narrating it as well. So it's really just kind of redundant to write inner monologue in first person. It doesn't add anything to the story. So therefore why do it? Mm. However, the beautiful thing about inner monologue in third person is it does take you, if done correctly and with the right reasons, you know, like, again, not just saying willy nilly stuff, but actually things that are impactful. It takes you a little bit deeper into the character than the narration does by itself. And so it, it adds it adds a dimension that doesn't exist in third person without it. And mm. so that's why those people are like, oh, I'm just never going to use it. I'm like, okay, just understand that that now there's a level of deepness that you're just not going to use, which is fine. And it, not necessarily saying it's going to hurt the story in any way, shape or form. Um, it's just a tool. And it's a it's a tool that that I tend to like to use, but you don't have to use it. You can still make the building without using, you know, you can use a different tool or whatever. Mm. But um but yeah, so that's one of the reasons why I'm such a huge supporter of inner monologue. I am a a critic of it because most people use it incorrectly. Most people do it just like you said, where they'll have massive conversations or they'll info dump in it or they'll do really, like I said, on the nose kind of um, um, things where, you know, it's like, like, wow, they're really greedy, aren't they? Yeah, literally, you just showed me that. Why are you thinking it now? Um, you know, so they'll do stuff like that. That is just that's, really, I mean, that's the other problem, right? Is like people can be very, um, on the nose with the inner monologue. And I'm like, don't do that. Like that's just, yeah. As you say, you've just shown it to me. Why tell, why tell it to me as well? <laughs> but they do that with narration as well, to be fair. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. they're just showing me the whole and scene dialogue. and they're like, and dialogue and everything. And then they narrate that I'm like. Um, well, I mean, like this also <laughs> happened last night in, in the writer's group. So, uh, this camp got attacked. Um, something was left behind. One of the soldiers, this young kid took off running and ran into the tent and then it got hit by an explosive. And one of the third party characters says, well, he just went and got himself killed. Like, um, yeah, like you kind of showed that, didn't you? Um, so, yeah, it happens in dialogue, it happens in narration, yeah. it happens in inner monologue, it happens in all of them. And it happens, one other repeated thing that I need to like get off my chest because it's a bugbear for me. But the character needs to know this. So I have to show them getting the information. Otherwise, the user won't know where they got the information. I'm like, okay, cool. One sentence. One sentence summary. They explained it to her. 
Seriously, yeah. this is the this is the place where you tell. You don't so, show. Well, and, and let me back up. Let me because you yeah. you missed a piece of this. What you're talking about, I'm assuming, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, is the reader already has this information. Yes, yes, yes. The reader already has the information. So but it's the a, character doesn't. Yes. I'm like Yeah. What I always tell people is remember the character ain't real. <laughs> the only thing that's real is the reader. And if the real reader already has the real information, then that's all that needs to happen. The only exception I'll say is if the other characters are lying to a character, then you need oh, to yeah. show it. But then you're showing the reader new information because the reader knows that right. they're lying, right? right? So they're like, oh, my God, they're lying to her. So you're yep. showing the new But that's actually not an exception to it because that's yes. completely different. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, people will say, but what if, you know, what if they're not telling her everything? I'm like, then, yes, yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I can't talk about inner monologue without also ending it with, and for God's sakes, don't write he thought to himself. <laughs> just just don't do that. Just he thought if you have to put a speech tag in there. Uh, or you can just understand that pretty much the industry, all genres now have accepted, a, you know, italicized first person in the middle of a third person paragraph is inner monologue. And you don't even have to write he thought. Um, the, the only uh, time you have to write he thought is with uh, omniscient voice, in which case it also needs actual quotes around it. Just a single, yeah, single quotes, yeah, for omniscient. Yeah. Um, and then to take that a step further, don't write omnis, omniscient. <laughs> don't it's, do it's a dead POV. <laughs> like nobody if you wants really to insist on it. That's how you do inner monologue there. <laughs> Yeah, and because technically it isn't inner monologue, it's you know what was said in their head. Yes. Um, and so it's kind of dialogue in the brain because you're not in the brain, and that's the problem with omniscient uh, POV is is you're not you're you've pushed the reader as far away from the character as you can possibly push them. I'm reading you know? an omniscient um like thing at the moment, and I'm like, why is this an omniscient? And she's like. Because magic is a sentient force that's part of the story. I'm like, yeah, I know, I get it. And you can't make magic be a POV. But magic isn't thinking anything in this freaking omniscient novel either. You don't need omniscient here. It's still pushing the reader away from the, yeah. the it's character. Still, it, like, I, I, I hear your justification, but, and I'm glad you thought about it, but. Right. Oh, <laughs> and also. Your sentient magic ain't real. Yeah, <laughs> that too. The only thing that's real is the reader. So yeah. you're doing a service to the only thing that's real. Yeah. Storytelling, and, and people think I'm a sellout when I say this, and that's fine. Yeah. But storytelling is about entertaining a reader. That's it. Yeah. It's not about your characters. It's not about your world. It's not about your plot. It's not about anything. It's about how it impacts the reader. So uh, let's... From our inner monologue and impacting the reader, let's talk about writing good stories through having characters that the well, reader Let's talk about the importance of, of the character and character-driven stories and why, even if you're not writing a character-driven story, the character is so vitally important. Yes. Okay, so we're going to talk about The Last of Us and House of the Dragon. Now, I... We are going to be spoilery, and I know, like, Last of Us just dropped. Yeah. Dropped Wednesday or dropped on the 15th. I don't know when exactly. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, 
you may want to pause this, you know, if it's something you're going to watch and go watch it. Yeah. Um, because man, now if you played the video game, you know, you've already been spoiled. It yeah. is exactly like the video. And I actually, if you follow me on Facebook, I actually posted a, uh, a picture of it and I said, uh, you know, it's about time somebody finally got the formula right, which doesn't make any sense because the formula is not hard. Step one, take an IP that is that is so well written, that is has a massive following and everybody loves it. Mm-hmm. Step two, do that. Yeah. <laughs> there is no step three. Yeah. Actually, no, I think step one was uh, and, and use that, you yeah. know, do that. And step two, there is no step two, I think is what I said. Um, but, but so... So, yeah, so there are going to be spoilers for House of Dragon up to about episode four, which is about where I stopped watching. So what episode did they finally go to the beach and the younger brother did the fight that they didn't show that really pissed me off? Uh, that, I think that was two or three. Where, where the Yeah, where the younger brother kind of just rampage through everything with the most obvious plot armor in the world that one yeah that was also right. the one where i stopped more or less <laughs> it's yeah. like um it's the and most then... plot armor i have ever seen piled onto a single character in my entire life <laughs> well but it was worse than that because it was now i'm i'm thinking that maybe later we get a flashback of the fight if we don't i'm gonna be like i don't know so so we have this big build-up between the protagonist and the antagonist, and we're going to fight, we're going to fight, we're going to fight, we're going to fight, we're both badass, we're going to fight, we're going to fight, we're going to fight. We start off with the protagonist having to plow through his army to yeah. get to him, and he's hell-bent, he doesn't care, he gets hit by arrows, he doesn't care, he's going to get to the, he's going to get to that antagonist, we're going to have a fight. And then we just flash forward to the hero walking out of the cave with the antagonist's head. Like, that's literally all I wanted to see. <laughs> I just wanted to see the fight between these two. I didn't care about the fight getting to him. I didn't care. Like, you've hyped up this one fight, and then you just skip Cut it. Up. Yeah, skip that, it. that really, it annoyed me. And I'm like, and so I did. I stopped watching it. Now, but, it was, but that it wasn't, what, yeah. it wasn't like when, when I stopped watching um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. because they pissed me off with a really bad writing. I eventually went back and watched it, and it's great. Yeah. But, but yeah, in the either first or second episode they pissed me off so bad i didn't watch until the until the entire series had finished dropping which is like i think it had four seasons or something like that um, i might return to house of the dragon eventually if i'm less oh i busy. will if i'm I, less busy. It, it was good it was good it wasn't but great but it was good the, the reason why i really dropped off like yes that that fight annoyed me that fight really annoyed me with mm-hmm. a with a because <laughs> it annoyed me because that dude had so much plot armor i was like Wow. <laughs> but see, it would have been fine. I don't think it would have affected yeah. you as much if that had been a setup for yes. what he's going to have to deal with and for, use for a big fight, yes. To overcome this massive obstacle of a big bad. Yeah. Yes. But since they skipped the big bad and he runs into the cave after all of that, after that whole plot armor yeah. fight, he runs in the cave and then he just comes Nothing. walking out with the dude's head. Yeah. And it's you like- see nothing that happened in the game my dudes (laughs) but the reason why i actually stopped watching is because i had disconnected from the characters and i think it is due to the lots of time jumps yeah not one time jump not like a skip of like here's the character as a child here there as an adult or here's Mm -hmm. the character you know as with last of us we also have a time skip we have a 20 year time 20 years 
But we have one. We have one time skip, not five of them. And the character doesn't grow in the time skip. Yeah, I think that's the important part. I think the important part is with How the Dragons, they're jumping, you know, years with every episode. And they are allowing those characters to have changed and grown between when we saw them last and when we see them now. And it's it's different from, you know, here she is at five years of age and watching her parents get murdered. And now here she is at 24 years of age and she's an urchin on the street and, and a thief and, and trying to make a living for herself. We can fill in those pieces that get her there. The jumps that they're doing, we don't understand the, the why it, it it isn't so obvious of oh you were a rich girl when you were five but your parents were murdered and now i see you at 20 and you're scratching a living as a thief on the streets we can all go oh wow you had a really crappy life like uh, we're we're right there and with joel in the last of us you know so spoilers again just you've been warned but again if you've watched the game i was so happy i was so terrified they were going to cut this because the last of us the first video game has the best written intro of any video game that I've ever experienced in my life. And the fact that they kept that intact, they changed, they didn't change anything. They added stuff that an audience needs that a game player doesn't. I hate zombies and I love The Last of Us. Like, just, oh. you know. Yeah, my wife won't watch it. She's <laughs> like, I'm like, well, they're not really zombies. They're kind of plant people <laughs> things. He's like, that's a zombie. Like, well, but I mean, it's they're a fungus. They're a mushroom head thing. And she's like, zombie, not watching it. Um, So anyway, so basically what they did in The Last of Us is they wanted to connect you deeply to the main character who's a middle-aged man. Um, And this middle-aged man, they know the thrust of the story is this middle-aged man is, is this 11-year-old girl is thrust upon him, her safety, her well-being, her everything – and they, I feel like they knew. And again, I'm, I'm not a part of Naughty Dog, so I don't, mm. I'm not in the writer's room. I don't know. I'm just mm. using my big brain to kind of extrapolate mm. things. But I feel like they, they were like, well, wait a minute now. The, the player is going to be playing a middle-aged man, and he has to deeply care about this 11-year-old girl that he, that the player, because mm. again, they're the only thing that's real, that Joel, the player, has just met five seconds ago. Mm. Like, how do we do that? And so what they did is they actually make Joel a single father before the outbreak. They, You actually play the girl. You don't start the game as Joel. You started as the 11-year-old girl, and you actually miss almost everything. Some weird things are going on, but you've got other things that you're worried about in your life. You have to get this. You have to get that, whatever. And you end up going to sleep, and then you wake up, and like – dad's gone and you're wandering around and you get scared by this thing. And then all of a sudden dad shows up and there's military everywhere and there's all this stuff and you don't understand anything. And then you die and you die right at that moment where you switch POVs to Joel. And now you're Joel and you're holding your 11 year old daughter that you now care about because you were her for the last 20 minutes as he tries to lie to her. Because you, you can, she's gonna, she's dead. She's taken, she got shot by a machine gun. And he's trying to hold her guts in. And he's like, You're gonna be okay, baby. You're gonna be okay. You know, it's, it's breathtakingly heart wrenching, especially mm. if you're a parent. Mm. And they kept it, they kept mm. it intact. Yeah. 
And even to the point where in the show, you don't even like you still follow her. The camera stays with her. So when she goes to sleep, Joel's like, well, I got to go out. Your uncle was thrown in jail. I got to go deal this. And you already know some weird stuff's going on. And then you just go to sleep and the camera fades to black. And then it fades back. It's like two o'clock in the morning. You have no idea what like it's it. They did such a great job with that because there was no reason to change it. You know, a lot of people go, well, but but we want to do it different because it's already been done. Yeah, it's been done to a video game market. Yes. Most people don't play video games, even though video games is the number one money making industry in entertainment. Most people still watch TV and movies like it's just the way it is. So. Yes, you're going to have people like me that, and you played the game. So people like us that have played the game and we're going to just live through the exact same thing. We but just guess lived. what? Those people are going to be like, oh my God, they kept it. Yeah. They kept the it's, opening and they're so going to love it. Yeah. I, I feel and like all this... the new people are going to have the exact same giddy experience that we gamers had when we experienced it the first time. Exactly. So, and it is a different medium. So you do feel about it different. You mm. do get to watch actors acting it as opposed to just a video game because acting is mm. much more powerful than yeah. than just what can be done. Even as good looking as video games are today, you know, the cutscenes still are not as impactful as live action people actually doing it. So you aren't really double dipping. Yeah, obviously everyone who played the video game is going to watch the TV show. Um, but that's just your built-in market. The reality is, is that the vast majority, um, a bigger percentage of the people that are watching that have never seen it before than the people who have. And but so you, you get... really are still touching a brand yeah. new market with this, even though it's you're just doing something some other writer did and they did it perfectly. But to get so, back to the, the time jump thing. Yeah, so, Jewel. and that's where I was getting yeah. to. When you jump forward 20 years, it's still the exact same Joel. It's still the broken man that three seconds ago in the film was holding his dying daughter, lying to her that she's going to be okay, that she's, you know, that that everything is fine, that you're there, that you're going to protect her when there's literally nothing you can do. He's the same guy. Mm. And just like what my little example of, you know, the child watching her parents die and then showing up later as a teenager scrapping on a living. You know what he experienced during those 20 years. You know the self-loathing, the hate, the the just the just I want to kill myself that I've given up that that the only thing that ever mattered to me, I could do nothing to protect. And so what this magically does is when he is then forced to take upon the safety of yet another 11-year-old girl, you're like Oh my goodness, I'm going to I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to I'm not going to fail this time. Mm. It's it's the finding Nemo all over again. Yeah. You know, why do we why do we agree with the father when he's like you don't need to go to school, you can just be an ignorant, just stay home. Just don't do anything. Don't do anything. This, why do we we're like, yeah, no, you should do that. I mean, that's cruel. Mm. I would never think want a child to have no education whatsoever yeah. why because i understand the misery of losing the other children yeah. and and how terrifyingly painful it would be to let that child go now the reason why i think house of the dragons time jumps didn't work for me is because the relationships between the characters changed in those mm -hmm. time jumps we yeah. like which is if you take a step back and go, well, wait a minute, in the real world, this would be different. Yes, you are right. In the real world, more than likely, Joel changed drastically in those 20 years. I mean, civilization fell. 
Of course, of course he should have changed. But I'm not watching for a real world analysis of the effect of psycho, you know, of, of what happens to a man when yeah. his daughter gets shot, like, and it's 20 years later. I'm watching to well, be entertained. It goes back to what I said earlier. Yeah. Joel ain't real. Yeah. <laughs> the reader is, and the reader just lost their daughter five seconds ago. And now, even though in the story world we've jumped forward 20 years, the reader has only jumped ahead five seconds. Correct. So the pain of losing the daughter is still yeah. incredibly fresh to them. So by whitewashing it and going, well, you know, it's 20 years ago. I had to move on with my life. And, you know, now I have a lover and I've had another child and I've, you know, done all this other stuff. And life has changed. I've lost a limb. I've, you know, like he didn't lose a limb. I'm just saying, yeah. Yeah. if you want to make it realistic. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what would have happened. But that's not what the reader wants to experience. No. And so you you need to be cognizant of that. Um, mm-hmm. Because that I that I, I strongly feel is why why the two time jumps didn't you know why there's this difference in the time jumps. Yeah, I agree. Because the it, other thing you don't is, re- now you have to get to know this new character, even though it's the same yeah. name. It's a new in House character. of Dragons. You're now basically having to decide every if you like this character. Every episode, all over. every mm-hmm. freaking episode, you have to decide if you like this character all over yeah. again, and that's that's what kind of got to me. That and. The last of us left me with questions. So this is the same discussion as I had with Rings of Power. Rings of Power was not a great TV series by any stretch of the imagination. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But it did leave me asking questions at the end of each episode. Because I did wonder who Meteor Man was and that kind of thing. You understand what I'm saying? We we didn't go into this the last time we brought yeah. this up, but I do want to take a devil's advocate. This is where yeah. it wasn't where we were going. Yeah. Um, so this is the J JJ Abrams What's in the Box. Yes. And it worked well for some reason with Lost. Yes. And I think the reason why it worked well with Lost is because it wasn't the only trick in the toolbox. 100%. Because you cared about the characters, you cared about their little individual stories, their individual mm-hmm. struggles, their individual everything. In Rings of Power, the only thing they had was J.J. Abrams' What's in the Box. 100%. You didn't give a crap about the characters. You didn't give a crap about their stories. They didn't no. They didn't grow anybody. No, no. They didn't. 100%. They, 100% let me, just, let me finish. All right. I will let okay. you finish. <laughs> I'm also an, a Tolkien nerd geek. You know, I'm a, like, I love Tolkien's world. So I really, I love the, the cities and the sets and the, like that kind of thing. But... The problem with House of the Dragon is they didn't have, they didn't leave me with any questions because mm-hmm. it is abundantly clear what the setup is here. The setup mm-hmm. is a civil war. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, it is the only thing that is impacting the story is that civil war. Yeah. And when you said that earlier before we started yeah. filming, um, I had made the comment of, well, yeah. so is Game of Thrones. And you had a great uh, rebuttal yeah. to that. You were like, yeah, but. They had an external. They had the that the, the the White Walkers, the the right. others in in the books, um, as an external threat. So there was right. yes, there was the civil war, but there was also external threats. Right. There was magic. And that was, was a really good rebuttal, and I hadn't thought about yeah. it like that. And there was 
And I cared about the characters. I constantly cared, cared about, about the, the characters. characters. Now, the problem with a Civil War setup is you really need me to care about at least one of those characters. And when you're making me decide every episode whether I care about those characters and you're not leaving me with questions, it's it's not that it's a bad TV series that I'm slamming. It's right, just right, right. that I don't have enough of a connection to it to go back to it. Well, the both of us are like, no, House of Dragons is a good story. And then I was like, I have to admit, because this happened before we started filming too. I was like, I actually didn't finish it. And you were like, I didn't finish it either. It's like <laughs> now, here's the thing. Last of Us connected me to Joel. It connected me to Joel's lover, right? Which you meet only after the 20 years. It connected me to the eleven year old girl and her potty mouth. Um, yes. <laughs> she swears like a sailor, that one. Mm. <laughs> and it left me with questions because the girl seems to be immune. Now, is she really immune? Is there something? Is there a cure? Where is Tommy? Right. Are they going to make like I have questions that I need answered. And that is the combination you're looking for. Interest in the characters and questions. And you care about these characters. Yes. And that's what really. I'm going to say that you care about uh, Ellie yet. Yeah. Um. You don't care care about her, but you right. you know like. But you care about Joel. Yes, and and an eleven year old kid is always coming from a good place. You know, it, it's hard <laughs> not to. And care. that's the only thing that that's one change that I think they messed up on because she is fourteen, fifteen, yeah, somewhere around in there in this. I I, I know I, why because eleven year old is hard oh, yeah. to act with. You know, oh, yeah. child actors. Oh my goodness! But but here's the thing. <laughs> There, people do see other people different as they, mm. depending on their age. Mm. When someone's ten and eleven, you you treat them and see them in a very. And it doesn't matter how progressive you are; they're still just a child. Mm. At fourteen, fifteen, they're starting. To, they're still just a child, but they're also starting to, you know, mm. understand yeah. more adult-oriented stuff, and so you start treating them. You know, my kids are now 18 and 20. So yeah. I've gone through this whole, the whole gambit yeah. from diapers to, you know, to grown men living in my house and yeah. eating my food. <laughs> um, so like there's the whole gambit of it. Um, yeah. And so I, I, it is less impactful. I agree. It, it, it is less impactful, but I do understand the change of medium and why they took the decision to make her slightly older. I mean, I get Oh, it. certainly. Certainly. Yeah. I'm just saying that's one change yeah. that like one, I one probably would have fought pretty hard for. Uh like it's my story, I'm the director, I'm you know, in charge of that. It is all it's just it's so hard to work with child. I mean, Harry Potter, they were all ten and eleven. Yeah. And they made a whole movie. But for every Harry Potter, there's like, you know, um There's an Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> the the mannequin, as I like to call it. Yeah. You know, for it's every for like, every good child actor, there's like five oh no, bad ones. <laughs> we're gonna be attacked by the alliance. We need to um, we need yeah. to fight. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna steal this plane and woohoo! I look at me. I'm gonna fight on a starship exactly. and exactly. Like, so yeah, so so my point is that um, I think that Last of Us really got that combination right. That character driven along with the what's in the box question. Yeah. Um, Rings of Power went, the only thing it had going for it was what's in the box. That's it. Yeah. 
Um, that and, and that's and enough if, for some people. Uh, that's yeah, why no, it's not a terrible that. show. Yeah, that's and why it you, didn't get horrible ratings. If you really love uh, Tolkien's world, then the cities were beautiful. They were really, really well done. It was gorgeous. It was everything I expected the cities to be. So the set design was oh, lovely. A lot of the other things left a lot to be desired. <laughs> like, let's just yeah. say that. Um, yeah. There were there were relationships that I liked, like Elrond and and his dwarven buddy. Um, that that was gorgeous, and they stole the show. Well, I so. wouldn't say gorgeous, but it was definitely the highlight. Of yeah, it was the highlight of the show. You know, because so, I only watched. Yeah. yeah. What the first two episodes, maybe. Yeah, so so th- their relationship was really like. Well, but even on. like even was, like Elrond, I was watching a YouTuber about it um a while ago, and he did a really good job because he's a mm-hmm. storyteller YouTuber. Yeah. Um, I don't follow him, so this is the only video I've ever seen yeah. of him. But I should probably look him up because he had some really good points. But he was like, he was like, you know, look at the Elrond character and what they could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, Plenty he, of missed opportunity. Well, well, so in that scene. He goes, the only thing I've ever wanted to do is work with this one master builder. Like, it's so amazing. And he literally, they set everything up for this perfect, oh, well, you're a hack. You'll never work with that guy. And then let Elrond earn his place. No, literally, he goes, oh, I've always, you know, that's always been my dream to work with. And he goes, really? Well, you're in luck because behind curtain number one is the guy. Yes. And he's going to hire you as oh. your apprentice. Oh. And it's like. That, that the know, speed with which they moved left me so, fr- I was like. My dudes, you're literally summarizing about three seasons worth of content into episodes. And that's why it didn't land. Because yeah. that's that's why the end scene... Well, you don't care about the characters. Elrond earned nothing in that scene, so you don't give a crap about Elrond. Exactly. None of them did. Even Galadriel didn't do anything, and so yeah. you don't care. Yeah. If you don't, again, that's 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 why, that's the why didn't Last land. of Us works. Yes. I mean, what happens in The Last of Us? What actually happens? The dude runs away from zombies and his daughter gets shot. But we don't even really even see the dude run away from zombies. Yeah. We, well, we see the bit in the town, like you're driving around. I did, by yeah. the way, really appreciate the camera angles. Like, like I'm not a cinematographer, <sighs> but I loved the way that occasionally, just sometimes, you would get a little bit of that first person feeling. That video game feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that so, was actually really good. And it wasn't I mean, everything. It was just here and there. You were like, Holy shit, it feels like I'm sitting in the back of this truck looking out. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you were still the daughter. Yeah. When you were still uh, the daughter. In that scene. So you're looking like, at Uncle. Uncle Tom. 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 Uncle Tom yeah. and your dad. Yeah. Um, And you're looking out yeah. the window. You're looking here and you're looking yeah. out the window. And, <laughs> and yeah, it was it, that was, was really, really well done. Spot on. Um, now. But, but anyway, so so not a lot happens in terms now. of story progression in those mm-hmm. chapters. But mm-hmm. a lot happens in terms of building me into the character in yeah. build and investing me in the world. And that is what, like, it, it was the downfall of Rings of Power is, is that speed with which they just cantered to what they thought was the climax. It was the downfall of Game of Thrones was the, the speed with which they ripped through those last seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's been my downfall and the difference between the industry and my fan base. So when I do work with the industry, the number one gripe that the industry has on me is that, that it's, it, every time mm-hmm. your stories start off too slow. You need to really get right into the meat of it. And all my fans are like, 
I love everything about this. This is so freaking amazing. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change for you, the industry, because you're wrong. Like the the people, the only thing that's real in this equation, want to fall in love with the character first before I start kicking him in the teeth. Kicking him in the teeth, you know, and I told the story about, you know, my first professional editor and making me change the, yeah. the first book and moving the lion dude. And I've already told that story a couple of times. That is the way I feel. And so yeah. I'm going to start my stories off. I don't care about the action and all that. I want to first make yeah. sure that you love the character. Now, you still have to add conflict. You have to make it interesting. You have to make them want to continue. Yes. You can't just have this boring. So when I say my stories start off slow, they're not boring. Yes. They're just different types of conflict other than the conflict that the that the fantasy story is going to be about. And I think that, you know, that to me, I think, I think is a takeaway that we should end the show on is like, Take the time to invest your readers in the character, but don't do it in a conflictless way. Don't do it by, you know, giving the long backstory of the character. In mm -hmm. fact, go watch our episode on how to introduce your character mm -hmm. for advice on exactly that. Make sure that there is conflict, but make, but small scale conflict little conflicts show the character to the reader let them get invested or as one of my dreams is um i can make the reader feel anything i want them to feel how i connect them to the character and then i do whatever to the character that i want the reader to feel how do you connect them to the character you have to do that first everything else falls in play after that if you do not connect the reader to the character you do not own the reader and therefore, you cannot make the reader feel what you want them to feel when you want them to feel it. Exactly. It's that simple. It's not this stuff. I mean, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. And if I can figure this stuff out, anybody can figure this stuff out. So it literally is that simple. You've, it's all care. And that, that, you know, again, that goes to. So we talk about three different shows, one that was garbage, one that was, you know, not bad, but not great. And then one that's fan stinkantastic. But also when you look at the reviews of all of them, House of Dragons are running around a three and a half to four out of ten. Um, um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Re Rings of Power. Rings of Power run at a three three point five four out of ten. House mm. of Dragons run around a six to seven out of ten, and I think right now the last was sitting at like nine point eight <laughs> with like twenty thousand reviews. So it's not even like one dude liked it. Yeah. Like it's overwhelmingly. Yeah. And the big difference between the three is in how they connect the readers. The and it's also why the video game won every single game award the year it came out not a single award went to any other game than the last of us absolutely it was that impactful to the gaming market so which is why i was terrified when they were going to make it into, yeah me too <laughs> they ruined everything everything I'm, I'm hoping that ghost of susima which they're also making into a into a um movie which i really like i loved as a video game I'm hoping that they make a good job with Ghost of Tsushima based on how The Last of Us went. Like, fingers crossed. Who, who's making it? I don't know. Some a Japanese studio, as far as I know. Maybe. Which makes Maybe. sense because it's a, Japanese, it's a Japanese. It's Japanese. I mean, you can't video. say you can't say. I mean, even like HBO is the one who greenlit The Last of Us. Yeah. But they also greenlit Velma. Yeah. So which <laughs> may end up being the lowest rated. TV show in the history of TV. The, the one they hit it out the ballpark. The other one is 
I, I don't even think you can describe the it as other a swing one, and a miss. They, the other one, no, it wasn't even a swing and a miss. They stood up out of the batter's box. They or they stood out of the dug, dugout. They started walking toward the field. They tripped, stabbed the uh, bat through their neck, and killed themselves. They never even got to the batter's box. So, no, no, it was so not a bad. swing and a miss at all. They literally never made it there. They yeah. were DOA. Ring Ring of Power was a swing and a miss. Velma was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what did you think of uh, of uh, Rings of Power, The Last of Us, House of the Dragon? Did you connect with the characters? Let us know in the comments below. And we will see you soon for another episode of Releasing Your Inner Dragon. Bye.